0: asking myself what do I want Mm. or what do I need so for much of my life that was never a question that was a part of my narrative it was always what do you need how can I serve you what can I give away even though I may be completely depleted and empty Mm. and tired and burnout it didn't matter because it was always the it was always the question of how can I please you
1: Mm -hmm.
2: everyone. I'm Kara,
1: And I'm Caleb. And welcome to the Kara and Caleb show.
2: When it comes to life, we believe it is so important to ask the right questions, but also to learn how to live in the tension and the uncertainty of those questions.
1: Yes. When we learn to live in the tension of unanswered questions, we become more resilient, more radiant, and more human.
2: On this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests.
1: And then we dive deep into the beauty and the transformational process that occurs as we wait for answers that may or may not come as we expected.
2: So join us as we explore what's possible when we are able to rest in the tension and live the questions of our lives right now.
1: I've got the heart
2: of a he- Hey friends, I'm Kara and I'm Caleb and welcome back to another episode of our podcast. If you've been here before or if this is your first time, we just want to say welcome and we are so excited that you are here with us.
1: Yes. Also, if you've taken the time to rate, subscribe and leave a review, we just want to say thank you. It means so much to us and it really does help this podcast and the message that we're sharing. Also, if you haven't left a review and you feel compelled to, it would mean so much to us if you took the time to do that. Or if you don't want to leave a review, completely understand. All that we ask is that you maybe share this podcast with one person that you might think will enjoy it.
2: Yeah. If you don't know, on this podcast, we explore the questions that have shaped and defined the lives of our guests. I think we can all agree that we're looking for answers in life, but answers come only when we learn how to ask the right questions. So on this podcast, we explore the questions and then we dive deep into the beauty and transformational process that inevitably occurs when we wait for the answers that may or may not come as we expect them to.
1: And so we are so excited about today's episode because we recently had the chance to sit down and talk with one of the more humble, caring, wise. And honestly one of the most just overall genuine people I've ever met he's known also as mr. Rogers of self-improvement and his name is Mike Foster
2: If you haven't heard of Mike, he is a best-selling author, a speaker, an executive counselor that empowers people to build strong lives by turning their setbacks into superpowers. He is the author of several best-selling books, and his work has been featured on Good Morning America, Fox News, and The New York Times.
1: In addition to that, Mike is also the host of a chart-topping and highly acclaimed podcast, Fun Therapy, which... We actually had a chance to be on, and I cannot wait to share that episode with you all. But his podcast, Fun Therapy, is so good, and we highly recommend it. But that's not the only thing that we recommend. Mike also facilitates a two-day personal development workshop designed to help you turn your pain into power.
2: His workshop is called Strongest, and it's actually coming up here in Southern California, uh, down in San Diego on June 15th to 16th. And his workshop will empower you to uncover a renewed sense of strength, joy and focus for your life, work and relationships. So if you're looking to silent your inner critic, stop the codependent habits in your life and begin to realize how strong you really are, this workshop is definitely for you.
1: That's right. We'll have all of his links, links to his website, his podcast, and his workshops below. And we could talk about Mike all day, and especially about the question that he asked himself that's really profoundly shaped his life, this question of what do I want or what do I need? Uh, But I think we'd much rather have you hear directly from him. So here's what Mike has to say. And as always, we hope that this podcast blesses you as much as it does us. like I'm curious um what are you personally kind of leaning into right now like what edges
0: are you walking along it's really been a, like an interesting season for me i have i've always felt like i was a fairly self-aware person but i am i'm like obsessed with trying to understand the the subconscious the things that are happening mm-hmm. and uh, rumbling below the surface and it's not so much the that something's wrong, but I feel like I'm really in pursuit of greater health, greater mental health, emotional health, physical health, and so I've been seeing you in the gym. I've been hitting, yeah. yeah. La- it was it. I made a total pivot, That's major awesome. shift in my life wow. that uh, has been pretty monumental, and just in terms of yeah that that intentional, strategic, like asking that question, like what do I want for my life? What is truly important to me? Mm. And kind of the the, the the simple part of that is the external, the close external pieces of my wife, my marriage, my kids, and close friends. Everything else is uh, going to possibly get energy. Mm -hmm. But then really my number one job I believe is to, uh, I got to keep my eye on the ball of managing myself. Mm. And I know that if I can manage myself well, everything around me is going to work and thrive. And whether it's career stuff, friendship stuff, marriage stuff. And so I have just been very, I don't want to say like um, self-obsessed, but I am obsessed with Thoughts, beliefs, values that possibly that I've had for a very long time that possibly mm. aren't true, mm. and so I'm, um, yeah, you know, we were talking about Enneagram Five investigating. Yeah. I have been investigating my beliefs, and not not in terms of you know religious beliefs or those things. It, that's not that's another whole other thing. For, I'm really like, what are the beliefs that drive my life yeah. that are possibly born out of trauma or fear or scarcity or a wound or something that just honestly a lie that has benefited me really well Mm -hmm. has allowed me to kind of continue on in behaviors that it's like, yeah, I'll just believe that because it keeps me comfortable. Mm. And so I've just been really pressing into that and I want to grow. I want to, I really want to be healthy. And I, the reason why I want to be healthy is because I see the ripple effects of health Yeah. and it's uh, you don't have to have a lot of projects in mm. terms of health. If you just have the personal project of, let's get Mike's heart healthy and and soul healthy and mind healthy. Uh, Im- impact can come from that. Yeah. Mm.
2: When you say you hit this big pivot, was there something that that made you hit the pivot? Was there something that kind of drove it?
0: Yeah, I mean, in terms of the health piece, and kind of so. I'll, I'll describe it this way: In 2018, zero days in the gym. Mm. 2019, over 200 days in the gym. Wow! So there is Impressive. a massive pivot, yeah. right? And the health piece of it, the, the the physical fitness piece of it, is an interesting thing because there was a there was a thought or a belief about physical fitness. So I have had a picture of myself for a very long time as skinny, weak Mike. Mm. And like just the physical, my, my relationship with my physical body has been one that I was always tall. I was always skinny. Uh, I was not an athlete. I was not athletic. Mm. Um, and so again, these, these beliefs and pictures of ourselves get formed very early on in our story. And so I always saw myself like the gym is not for me. Strength, physical strength is not for me. I don't belong in this sort of community of gym people. And and so a lot of, I remember the early days of working out, just a lot of, it was more psychological Mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. And it was me testing and leaning into the beliefs and saying, you know, I know, I know it's comfortable for me to believe that I'm skinny, the skinny Mike who doesn't belong in the gym and that, that worked well for me for a while. Yeah. Actually, you know, 40 plus years of my life, <laughs> yeah. right? And so, um, and then I and then I said, you know, let me, so here was a belief that I had that the gym was about building big muscles. Mm. So that that's a basic kind of thing that we would, that's a, I'm not interested in that. Um, I'm interested in releasing stress. I'm interested in health. I'm interested in the, di- the discipline of mm-hmm. it. Uh, and so I, I shifted, I, I was able to shift it. Like I go to the gym to be muscular. Mm. If I, if I went into the gym that way, I would be very discouraged because still today right. I don't have huge guns <laughs> or, or look like I spent 200 mm. days in the gym, but that wasn't, that wasn't the point. Yeah, And so I think re- redefining yeah environments for us redefining our beliefs redefining our outcomes in our life is really important to actually engaging in really good things and there's Mm -hmm. i think i don't know i I think so so often we dismiss things, really good things for us because we just feel like oh that's not for me because we've defined it a certain way versus Mm -hmm. stepping back and going where's the value that i could uh get out of this. Mm-hmm. And I have found it incredibly valuable. Yeah. Have you taken this approach um, in other areas of your life? Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that uh, another pivot in my life was moving from uh, pretty strong people pleasing mm-hmm. uh, for many years, again, most of that from being birthed out of wounds and trauma, a belief that I had to do certain things, say yes to everything, make sure everybody's okay Mm. in order to, to receive love Mm. and to be wanted and included. That's a basic, basic concept that Mm -hmm. I had in my brain for a very long time. And it's also, it's also, that's the core of codependency by the way too. Mm. And so um, that idea of saying no, saying uh, having limitations actually caring for my own soul asking myself what do I want mm. or what do I need and so for much of my life that was never a question that was a part of my narrative yeah. it was always what do you need how can I serve you what can I give away even though I may be completely depleted and empty mm. and tired and burnout it didn't matter because it was always the it was always the question of how can I please mm-hmm. you mm. and, and that's the power of our need for love too it's like mm. i'll burn out i'll do every i yeah. will have no boundaries in my life um because i just so des- desire to be loved and wanted yeah. um and until we kind of quite begin to question those things mm. and go like why am i doing this and ask a better question a better question for my life has been what do i need mm. first that's the first question mm-hmm. So then I can ask the question of what do you need because yeah. I actually have something to, get. to, to give to get from. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. You'll love this. I um I was at onsite in September. Oh, awesome. And Caleb and I had just started dating and you know, on site, they do all these classes. So at night we have the class about codependency, the class about yep. narcissism. And I was like, I'm so excited about the class about narcissism. I was, so, I was so excited about all the classes. And then I, on the phone with him, I said, I'm not very excited about the class about codependency because I am 0% codependent. <laughs> and then I, I took the class and I came back and I got on the phone with Caleb and I said, I think I'm 100% codependent. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think my point in saying that is it's, it's really interesting as you're talking just We've been in this big conversation of unpacking the narratives that we just come into every day, especially being in a new relationship, being yeah. engaged. What are these narratives that I'm carrying in that are influencing the way that I interact with you, the way that I like ask questions mm-hmm. or whatever it might be? And I think, yeah, what you're doing, like getting getting yourself to reframe these narratives is takes so much bravery
0: (laughs) yeah because the story the stories are very powerful Uh in our lives and Uh we don't we will continue to live out the story until we ask a question about Mm -hmm. it and Mm -hmm. i um so i teach this workshop called strongest and the very first thing that we do in the workshop is draw this little diagram about uh and i label the chart the story i prefer Mm and the story so there's the story that i prefer and it's it's probably the story that you're living and all the 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 theories that you have on life and your thoughts about life and how relationships work and who you are and so there's the story that i prefer
2: Mm.
0: and our brain is just always wanting context always wanting to understand so we have the story i prefer and then we find all the supporting data for that story And we, we, we pull it from our childhood, what people have said, our, the size of our bank account, whatever, whatever data we need to support that story, we, we will find it. Mm. You will definitely find it. And then the third part of that, so we have the story I prefer, we find the the data and then I have to ignore the contradictory data.
2: Mm.
0: I have to like, cause there's going to be other data points Mm -hmm. out there that say, actually, we may need to look at this because that's the data's story, is messed up. The yeah. data is messed up or yeah. there's that the exact opposite of what yeah. that's the story you prefer. And then the fourth step is I just have to keep repeating that story and, um, you know, recycling that story. Mm-hmm. And so for me, again, that, that, that first question of the edge and the, the looking at the narrative, mm-hmm. looking at the story is like, I actually have to um, question the data that i have gathered and then i also have to look at the contradictory data mm. and i also have to realize that whatever story i'm preferring right now is a preference mm. it doesn't mean it's true mm. it it it's a comf- it keeps me where i'm comfortable mm-hmm. i feel safe i do feel loved and secure may not be the type of love i want mm. but you know, codependent love, there's better loves than codependent yeah, love, yeah. right? definitely. But there's that story. And so, you know, we live, we do live at the mercy of our narratives and mm-hmm. our stories and they have to be investigated and they have to be challenged.
2: Why do you think people are so scared of looking at the contradictory data? Like what happens when we do that?
0: Well, I think, you know, uh, I do an exercise with people in in the workshop. And the line I use, I think it's actually a Brene Brown uh, line, but the, the story that I'm telling myself about whatever, mm-hmm. you know, my marriage, uh, my value, story that I tell myself about how, um, the best way to get love. Okay. We can figure it. Okay. We have to number one, say there is a story that I'm telling myself, yeah. whether it's true or not, we don't care about that at this point. But then we have to build out what is the cost of that story? what is the benefit of that story so i was working with somebody yesterday um on a on a counseling call and they had just gone through a breakup and she was in an abusive relationship and the story so the story that her her, here was her story the story that i'm telling myself is uh that there's something wrong with me Mm based on this, this breakup, mm-hmm. that it's my fault. Mm-hmm. And so what is the cost of that story to her? Well, as number one, her, her self-worth, mm-hmm. confidence, it's costing her joy, peace. What's the benefit of that story? The benefit of that story, as we would push into it, the benefit of that story is that I don't have to put myself out there anymore. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. have to risk any, I'm hurt. She was so convinced that she is now going to be single for the rest of Mm. her life Yeah, because she's not, it was her fault. There's something (coughs) inherently wrong wrong Mm -hmm. with her. Mm -hmm. And I completely understand how she got to that story, Mm. how we, I, we can explain our stories that I prefer all day long and they'll make perfect sense. We know how we got there but we have to look at the cost and we have to look at the benefit and there is both costs and there are both benefits. And I don't think we step out of those stories until we realize, um, that ratio is not going to work for me. Mm. Like way too much cost, mm. very little benefit. Mm-hmm. And then I think we, we go, you know, I'm going to write a dip. So really what she should have said in the story that I'm telling myself about that relationship is That I was really brave to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then think about the cost and the benefit of that storyline. Yeah. Versus there's something wrong with me. Mm.
2: That's so good.
0: Completely flipping the script. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And it's crazy. Like even when you look at people's work, when they will say like 97% of the thoughts that I think today are the same thoughts that I thought yesterday. Totally. Mm -hmm. And so they're literally reinforcing these same narratives Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. I was just talking with a friend and I just wrote about it on Instagram last night, but I used to be the king of like, I was oh, as a four wing three. Um, when my three was really out there, I'd be so hard on myself and it a lot of it would be kind of, you know, I should have known better. I should have done better. And then over time, as I started doing work, I realized that I was just reinforcing with those statements, which can look like, you know, constructive criticism and you got to mm. motivate yourself to do better. And, um, and the, it helped to a degree, but over time I realized that you, know, you should have known better, you should have done better, so on and so forth, was just reinforcing a deeper narrative that says I'm not enough. Yep. Otherwise, I would have known better, I would have done mm-hmm. better, and I've just come out of that feeling like complete shit because it just reinforced all the shame that at the time really was the driving force behind my life, yep. and I just looked like motivation, Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's the underlying story that's keeping me stuck. Mm -hmm. But I realized that over time, like even with our our coping mechanisms, it's so it's so easy to get so mad at ourselves for the stupid things that we do sometimes to cope. Right. But at the same time, and I talk about this often because I've walked away so many times being so angry at myself. But then when I look at at myself and be like, wow, I love myself so much that I'm going to do something as ridiculous as that to cope mm. just to keep myself from feeling vulnerable and exposed like rage, right? Like I'm rage was my way that I yeah. coped. anytime I felt threatened, anytime I felt exposed, never been in a fist fight in my life, but I would just erupt with rage because it would give me control of a situation. Yeah. Right. Cause I felt exposed and you're not going to see me. And that's the
0: benefit. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: that's the benefit. One percent. And so I realized and I would get so mad at myself afterwards being like, you're an idiot, Caleb. Like, why did you do that? Like so on and so forth. But then over time, I'm like, oh, I love myself so much. That I'm going to be the Hulk. To protect myself from being seen and and experiencing this wounding that I don't even know, but my body remembers it, um but then realizing, oh wait, there's a higher way of doing life mm-hmm. there's a better way of doing this, mm-hmm. and that's when healing
0: comes into play mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah i um I talk about the the fact and and this is scientifically proven that ninety five percent of our daily lives is driven by subconscious yeah. programming mm-hmm. yeah. Terrifying. and I, I always I always think about those. Um, they don't have them anymore, but they have at Disneyland. They used to have these boats that you could drive, and through this little pond area and mm-hmm. under the monorail track, and it was really this cool little thing. The, the The lake is still there, but the boats are gone. And as a kid, I remember uh, driving those boats. They, you know, I'd be an eight year old kid, and I'd be behind the wheel of this boat, mm-hmm. and you can, and I could turn it, and it would turn, yeah. and and I thought I was I thought this was so amazing that they would let an eight year old <laughs> kid just drive a drive boat, a boat. Yeah. in the water and it was so cool. And the reality is, you know, I I didn't necessarily even well, it wasn't aware of this time, but there was a track underneath the boat. Mm. That I'm not seeing. <laughs> yeah. You're just like driving. I feel it's like I'm driving this are. boat, and I'm pretty cool. And look at me navigating under yeah. this bridge right now. No, I'm and so I'm good so at cool. driving. A some boat. pretty complex moves in this boat, and I didn't. I'm not running into anything. And mm. oh man, I pulled right next to that dock to get yeah. out. I mean, I am good. <laughs> and I think that's ha- that happens with our lives so is that mm. there's this track underneath that we are unaware of that mm. we're not thinking about that has been established like with Utopia with the cars, mm. you know, there's a track mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah. You yeah. can see it. Yeah. So you're like, Oh, this is lame. I'm not really driving, Yeah. but the boats is like, and so for us to, to get curious about mm-hmm. what, what is the track yeah. that's underneath the water yeah. that you feel like you're in control of your life or this really, my life makes a lot of sense right yeah. now and I'm doing, but maybe there's some stuff that needs to be looked at. Mm. Mm.
2: I have a question for you around that. So I feel like, there is a collective conscious feeling in in the atmosphere right now where people are like going after inner healing. And even in our friend group, everyone is having this conversation, right? Mm. But then sometimes I go back home to the Midwest and I speak about certain things like this and it feels like it's over everyone's head or like it just doesn't register.
1: not saying anything less about Midwest. No, it's not not even about the Midwest. It's
2: just maybe the circle of people, whatever it is. But I guess my question with that is, for, for someone who's not practiced in maybe taking their thoughts captive and being like, why do I think that narrative or how is that belief affecting me? Is it something that can be learned, especially later in life? Like let's take my parents' generation. Can they come into a, a place where all of a sudden they can be like, I want to think about the narratives I've been telling myself for 65 years, or is the brain so hardwired that that's just a really rare thing?
0: Well, I, I think there's two ways for us to change the narrative. One would be a, a personal willingness, a mm-hmm. desire to grow and a desire to like become the best version of ourselves, whatever that looks like, mm-hmm. no matter what age you are, no matter what region of the country. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly that that option. And then there's the pain option mm-hmm. where life just becomes so unmanageable. Yeah and you are in so much pain and so much hurt that you'll start looking at the narrative at that point point. Mm. and so in my my desire and i don't think you're ever too late to look at narratives i think all of us have the ability but you know to, to caleb's point you know the coping mechanisms the routines mm. the subconscious programming it's strong yeah um, but the beauty of you know the brain is actually be- it can change. Mm -hmm. And, and, Mm -hmm. um, all those grooves and all those channels, that could be like 70 years of believing Mm -hmm. something and operating a certain way, a certain rhythm can be changed if that rhythm is not, not serving you, but it does take either desire or it takes pain. Mm. Uh, and, and our, my preference with people would be always like, Hey, let's, like I don't have to le- like right now I'm not learning through pain. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm learning through choice mm. and that it's a much more, I have learned a lot through pain. Mm. <laughs> like I don't, mm-hmm. maybe I should get smarter about this, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just disrupting comfort.
1: Mm-hmm. Like I'm willing to be uncomfortable mm-hmm. as long as it doesn't threaten my overarching level of comfort that I am mm-hmm. the status quo. Yeah. Right. i no risk. I can, I can do this. I can, yeah. I'm not saying this in a, a negative way, but I can clock in, I can clock out and go home can go to sleep and this is my life like mm-hmm. why would I want to come and disrupt this cycle mm-hmm. yep. there does definitely have to be that personal willingness or even when you look at like the work of Richard War, there's usually a loss that has to come along mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. a loss of a reputation or a loss of a loved one something that comes in and really disrupts um life as it was yeah mm-hmm. and then you have that that opportunity to say okay am I going to look at this disruption um And use it as a catalyst to reach higher levels of consciousness with my life. Mm -hmm. And that was I'm I I'm definitely more on the pain side. (laughs) Like (laughs) why am I doing this to myself? But as a recovering perfectionist, um, I think that's what I read. Yeah. Right. Going to the other side of the coin, how do you because as somebody that's highly ambitious for the for a long time, really trying to outrun my shame more than anything, but my healing would become a performance, Mm. right? And so often you hear from people who, yeah, I'm so curious about my subconscious patterns or my beliefs and everything happening, but it's almost like I'm trying to, whether you're probably not aware of it a lot of times, because it creates so much frustration. I know that it did for me, but I was so frustrated because I'm like, when is my healing good enough? Mm. Right. Am I, am I, am I so Effed up that mm. I can't even do healing right, mm. <laughs> you know? And I find that a lot of people are trying, they turn their healing into a performance. Yeah. And they try to be perfect in their healing. Um, how would you kind of break that down and like become aware of that and realize that that's really what's going on? Yeah. Mm. I
0: mean, again, that's just the, the ego mind yeah. at mm. play. Like, I'm going to compare, judge, perform mm. with my healing mm-hmm. it, it's it's a it's a mutation of actually healing mm-hmm. it's not a it's yeah. it's a it's an offshoot of real true healing and i think you know for me there's kind of the and i think oprah talks about this you know it's kind of the two concepts of of operating from fear and operating from love mm-hmm. anytime you're operating from fear there's gonna there's the outgrowth of control mm-hmm. and so if we are trying to control the schedule of our healing, how it looks, mm-hmm. yeah. Especially, like think about grief. Grief is so confusing and mm-hmm. so wobbly and all over the place, and yet we want to control our grief process. I'm yeah. like, no, that's that's actually still fear, mm-hmm. scarcity-based thinking, versus love. The opposite would be a fear would be love, and the outgrowth of love is surrender. Mm. It is a release yeah. of any of the things that I would measure release of how fast my healing is going to go. Mm-hmm. what my healing is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime well we said. invite ourselves into this place of love, compassion for ourselves, but first, first and foremost, um, it allows us to surrender and say, whatever this looks like, wherever it's going. Um, some of it, I'm going to feel good about some of it. I'm going to like be discouraged by, Yeah that's okay yeah. but that's that means you're on the right track versus mm. let me control this let me um, you know compare my healing to yeah. to Jenny's healing <laughs> right. and mm. um, let me make sure that I'm doing all the most popular healing practices mm. <laughs> and mm. uh, it's like that just um, again it, you know releasing control and moving from a place of fear into love it's That's a big process. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that you get stuck in the middle of like, yes, there's a desire to heal, Mm -hmm. but then bring along a lot of the baggage of fear and scarcity, Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. And so we just Mm -hmm. have to again be aware of that.
2: Yeah. I Um, love that line that love is releasing the things that you would measure. Mm -hmm. That's really good.
1: I got a question with that though, because it's kind of shifting and fear is a great motivator.
2: It's a great right.
1: Um And it creates a lot of striving, a lot of hustle, a lot of ambition. But then when you step over side to the other side and your, life, and your life is driven by love, I'm curious on what you would say. What does it look like f- to be surrendered but yet still have a healthy, uh, I want to use the word ambition, mm. healthy ambition for what's next? And so what does it look like not to allow yourself to come out of love or come out of the present? and turn it into striving but stay centered in the present stay centered in love but yes still have a healthy ambition for the more that you're inevitably made for
0: yeah such a great question and from my own story i have uh i've certainly operated in fear and scarcity for decades uh in business in my relationships and it has served me very well, right mm. so let's just put that out there yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. worked really well <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, mm. and and that's okay again, that's okay, like we have to understand, we can't sort of be dishonest about the fact that fear actually is a powerful force right. that will actually produce right. a lot of positive results, okay yeah the problem with the results and the problem with fear as the motivator is that it is unsustainable right mm. We will reach a point, point. in our lives mm-hmm. where like, I can't do this yeah. anymore. We've you know, completely have betrayed Absolutely. ourselves, completely emptied ourselves. And, and so I made a shift, went to on site also mm. um, a couple of years ago and did a lot of really good, good work and mm-hmm. got some really amazing clarity and made a decision to move over into a life of surrender Mm. because I just, I had hit a wall. Like I cannot, I cannot live this way. And I've been doing therapy and aware of my issues and really always, always have been interested in personal development. But, um, the interesting thing is that I feel, so there's not only the success of I am enjoying life at a, at a degree I never thought possible in like enjoying being present, being with my heart, Mm -hmm. being with my wife, like just my kid, like this moment is heightened with enjoyment now because of moving over in love. And what fear tells me and, and what fear was, would have told me back then is that, for you to move over into love and surrender means that you're now putting everything that you want and you desire and you're going for in the world at risk. Yeah. Yeah. You've just compromised. Yeah. You've just, um, Oh, like I have, I have massive dreams and massive vision Mm -hmm. and I plan on that, those visions and dreams happening. Mm -hmm. And I am, I am passionate. I'm going for it. But I don't live, I don't live in the future. I am not measuring because love, again, isn't measuring. Fear would have. I'd be like, oh, I'm behind. (laughs) Let's go. I need to hurry this up. I need to work harder, you know. Mm. Um, And so, and what's interesting, I I don't, I don't say this in a a boastful way, but like every metric of success has doubled and tripled in my life by living a life of Love. love. Yeah. And that's the counterintuitive thing because fear says, like, if you do this, if you go to this new way, Mm. all that's, you're, you're just, it's a loss. Mm. It's a liability. Everything that you truly wanted is, is gone. I remember
1: mine was, you're taking the easy way out. Yeah. Mm. You're taking the easy way out. Yeah. You're, you're a coward. Mm. Like, oh man, (laughs) that was it.
0: It's um, so convincing though, it is. too. Like it really is. Those little, again, those little statements, yeah. those little yeah. stories, are so convincing. They can... keep us in that fear.
2: I've. It's so interesting as we're talking about this. So going back to Enneagram, I'm a seven, and our our number one way of avoiding pain is to dream, like to ideate mm-hmm. things about the future. And it was really interesting last year. I I feel like I did a ton of healing work and I got to this place where I was saying like, I'm not a dreamer anymore. I'm not a dreamer anymore. Like where are my dreams? And it's interesting as we're breaking this down because I think what happened is I think I'm currently in that shift. Like I'm, I'm towing the line of like fear, love, fear, love, and wanting to land on the side of love. But having that voice of fear being like, well, you're not a dreamer anymore. Well, you don't know how to ideate anymore, oh. but it's not actually that it is actually that I'm fully enjoying the present and i think when i when i learned to do that it really opened me up for the right things to come in even meeting Caleb i feel like i wouldn't have met him if i had not gone through this process of like opening myself up to be in the moment yeah. um but it is it is like the hardest thing to to grab onto that voice of fear and be like you don't you don't get to speak into this because yeah. mm-hmm. i still want to default back to like the fear got me so far that voice was really powerful in getting me to LA and starting my career and making a certain path of successes happen. It Mm -hmm, it does. But now I feel like I, I love this idea of like, how do I live from a place of love? And I feel like at 35, that's pretty young to be doing that. (laughs) I think it's kind of young. Um, but I, even, even together as a couple, we've been like, are we behind? Like our careers aren't, where we wanted them to be at 35 or, and then I think we're good at catching each other in that and being yeah. like, let's step back and actually I evaluate ask, the reality yeah. of our life.
1: I asked that question because it's very much pertinent to me right now mm-hmm. where it's, for I've done, like, I've accomplished everything that I've ever wanted to do as a child, all driven by this fear of not being enough. Mm. So let me just climb this ladder of success and someday I'll be enough. And then I was like, oh shit. I missed something along the way. Mm-hmm. And I'm so thankful that happened at an early age. But now it's even last year on June 3rd, you know, I had this moment where it really was just a profound moment and something so personal to me where it was it was sparked by so much frustration. and something that I've been contending for for the last decade of my life um, where it was finally enough like if my life never changed from this moment forward, it's enough. Like it's good. And I was so afraid of that because then where would the drive come from? Mm -hmm. Where would the motivation come from? Mm -hmm. Right? Like how am I supposed to pursue like, what is is that? And I would be so afraid. But then when I experienced that, even kind of like what you said, um, like food tasted differently. Mm -hmm. I actually smelled the flowers. Mm -hmm. The wind on my face felt different. The breeze from the ocean was like, brought me to tears it like totally heightened every sensory level of my life and it was just honestly not to be crass here but it was like I was walking inside of a a living orgasm Mm. and it was just like this is amazing is this what is this what living in the present looks like Mm. and even as I look at the kingdom of God I'm like this is what Jesus this is freedom here on earth as it is in heaven like this is advancing heaven on earth it's living in the present and doing the work to get to the present because it It takes a lot of work, but I'm also very much in the same place of like, what does it look like to materialize the cravings and not cravings in a a striving way, but the longing, the hunger, the dreams that I can feel in here that I necessarily haven't put to words yet, but I just know There's an expansion, there's more, and we're made to grow, right? Because God is always uh, revealing parts of who God is to us, and as we behold that beauty, we are also being transformed. Mm. So we're also growing, but I'm very much in this process of what does it look like to grow from a place of surrendering and and not do any work that so easy pulls me out into striving. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's like, you know, I'm building like five websites right now. And I'm like, Oh, we got to do more work now. Like we're taking, we can't go to vacation. <laughs> Literally. So. What,
2: and I want to know with that too, what does it feel like for you to have, like in this new space to have your life motivated by love, but to still have dreams? Like, what mm. does that feel like?
0: I think number one, it feels more human mm. uh, versus, Um, me operating out of my false self or shame or almost disconnected from, from myself Mm -hmm. to kind of accomplish the things that fear is telling me to accomplish. It requires us to totally compromise our humanity and humanness, which, so for me, it's like, um, you know, my theology, I think about my theology, my whole theology is, um, to enjoy enjoy whatever god has put in my life like, mm. and if i can enjoy things i know i'm winning i know the people around me are winning too mm. again if i can enjoy my wife if i can enjoy a meal with friends if i can be there not thinking about the five websites i yeah. gotta build yeah there's like uh i do think one of the things that's been interesting about this kind of shift from fear to love is, I think, love accelerates vision. It it mm. really does because it 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 releases you of all the noise and it releases you of perfectionism, mm. which is a grinding thing. It perfectionism will never get the project out the door, mm. right? Yeah. Like this just because we'll keep working, it will never yeah. be enough. But surrender and love and doing our best. Saying okay, this isn't perfect, mm. but it's my passion. It's good. I I've thrown everything yeah. I can at that project. Actually, does get out the door. Yeah. And so the acceleration, the maximization that comes with love and surrender is real. It's again, it's counterintuitive what we think. Mm-hmm. We think oh, surrender means slowing mm-hmm. down things, mm-hmm. and my dreams all of a sudden are going to take ten years longer now because I'm not so driven anymore. Yeah. Mm. But there is actually a huge upside. Um, it forces us to, to to deal with truth, too. Mm. Like, when I'm in a place of surrender, I can embrace truth versus when I'm in a place of fear, I'm always living in this environment of denial, denial of my needs, yeah. denial of my true strengths yeah. and gifts. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm not that great at that. That's fear, right? <laughs> yeah. I could never do that. I could never go to the gym. I could never create this. I could never write this book. I could again like all that grindingness um this two weekends ago as uh, we're here at my house recording this and I have a gate uh, over here a wood gate that for the past 2 years has been uh it's set it was sagging but, you know just over years and the gate was kind of sagging so every time you'd open the gate you would have to force it open oh, no. and it would grind along the the concrete so you know, our trash cans are over in this area. So I have every time put it out the trash cans in the morning, you know, Wednesday morning, I'd have to open that gate. And it, mm-hmm. and it was this Horrible, horrible sound. Grinding. You have to force it. Everybody went through that gate. You had to like, it was a pain, mm-hmm. absolute pain. And uh, two weeks ago I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do something about this, this gate. It, this had been going on for two years, by the way. The pain finally got to that. <laughs> exactly. <time. You> kind, <laughs> exactly. It's, at some point you go, I'm not going to do this yeah. anymore. We're not going to, we're better than this. We yeah. can, are, we can do something else. And I'm not a handy guy by any means, but I had a drill and I had desire to, mm-hmm. look, to go like, why is this this way? And is there something I can do mm-hmm. to fix this? Cause I didn't really want to pull call out a repairman and right. pay like 500 bucks to have a gate fixed i'm like i'll just put up with the grinding <laughs> for another couple of years if that's the solution but you know i literally took 10 to 15 minutes wow. took the hinges off the post moved the gate up one inch wow got Drill my wife in. <laughs> got my wife yeah drilled it back in got my wife involved she helped me you know a little bit to steady the gate and all of a sudden now <laughs> with so about good. 15 minutes worth of work this gate is opening and closing No, no sounds. I'm feeling great. (laughs) My neighbors are probably really happy that they don't have to hear this, the screeching noise anymore. But, but I think that's, that's kind of what, if we do that work and we go, okay, Mm -hmm. um, can I put 10 or 15 minutes and just investigate what side of, am I on the fear side or love Mm -hmm. side? And if I can make the little tweak, a little pivot, Mm it opens up it opens up everything mm-hmm. everything works better and that's what i'm saying like it, the surrendering the living in love mm. means your gates going to open a lot faster and smoother and your neighbor's going yeah. to be a lot more happy and you're going to be a lot more happy and you're going to be feeling like you're not going to be second guessing yourself mm-hmm. every time yeah. you know you've got a new idea or a new project you're just going to go for it yeah. you're not going to bring perfectionism and shame and mm-hmm. you know beating yourself up. You're not going to be running 5000 scenarios of like, well, will Julie be okay with this? Will my yeah. parents be okay with this? You're like, no, you just create mm. and you do. And to me that's how that's how I I I've, that's why I think I've experienced like mm. times 2, times 3 effectiveness, um better projects, better impact, yeah. better financials, everything is winning when you live from that place.
2: Yeah. Just moving the gate. I
0: love that. What is,
1: um, when somebody identifies, maybe they're getting more curious on like, is this fear speaking or not? And they realize it's fear. Mm. What's that next first step that I take after realizing this is fear and I want to do my best. I want to start moving over to love, but I don't know where to go.
0: I think a lot of, there's a lot of, (laughs) I would say Inspirational Instagramming type <laughs> yeah. things. That say, like, fear is your enemy. Yeah. And, you know, totally like crush, slay, fear. This kind of, I I say welcome it. I say, mm-hmm. wow, there you are. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would get curious about wonder, wonder who planted it there. Yeah. Wonder how it got there. Yeah. And um, usually it's from from usually early in our stories. Some trauma, some words spoken over us. Mm-hmm. And trauma, when I say trauma, it could be little, little things, right. micro, little mm-hmm. t traumas. It doesn't have to be like intense, severe. It sometimes is, but um, wonder where that wonder where that fear came from. Mm. Wonder why it's being triggered right now. Like why? Why is it so strong in my mm-hmm. life? And just welcome, because I I do think there is a sense of welcome. Everything welcome, mm-hmm. because okay. if you're going to get really curious, you got to let let it, let it be okay. there and, yeah. and show fully show itself mm-hmm. yeah. and look at it from all the different places. We have to be uh, afraid of fear. We yeah. don't have to be yeah. intimidated by it, but but say, okay, there it is. And then I I also think people are very powerful in the sense that everyone's smart. Everybody knows. And and so like, we choose fear or love. Mm. We do make that choice. We actually really do. Um, you know, we talked about the story. I prefer. We talk about our comfort zones. It's mm. like there's a reason why it's there, and you get to choose as a empowered adult mm-hmm. whether you want want it to to be at the driver's seat, mm-hmm. or do you want to be you know probably not ever going to remove it from the car, mm-hmm. but maybe you see in the back seat mm-hmm. and its voice isn't quite as strong yeah and you let love drive the the, the car or you let confidence or worthiness mm-hmm. or value drive the yeah. car mm-hmm. uh so i think it's just welcoming it i think it's investigating like where did, how did it get here and then is it is it in the right spot mm-hmm. in terms of my life because we're yeah. never going to totally get rid of fear yeah. Yeah. i think that's a big thing right there it's like the goal isn't to remove it to remove um, it yeah and i think a lot of times for
1: for in my own life, trying to not just remove fear, but really dealing with like identifying shame in my life and being like, oh, it's still there. Mm. Mm-hmm. My, my healing is not good enough or yeah. whatever it is. But then it's realizing that like, oh, I'm never going to remove shame from my life. The, mm. the key is to learn how to respond differently to it. And then that's how yeah. you begin to build resilience towards it.
0: Well again yeah. removal is is an ego thought. That's 100%. a that yeah. is like to remove something yeah. closure, the idea of closure. I got to have closure yeah. on this. That's yeah. This is like surrender means I am a work in process. Yeah. I ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. I I pendulate between fear and love at times, there's shame sometimes yeah. pops it it's that's all very normal. I mean I I go to 2 hours of therapy every month. Hmm. I'm in a 12 step codependency group. I do my work. I okay. am doing my work so because good. I realize that this is an ongoing journey of yeah. hell. This is a very long process. I don't, mm. we never arrive mm-hmm. in terms of living fully from, from love. Mm. Maybe some people have, but I don't think I, mm-hmm. I want to keep doing my work yeah. and, right. and finding those little pockets of shame, finding those little bits of fear that are still residing and hanging out and know, yeah. let's just keep, let's just keep processing that. Let's yeah. keep, um, bringing that more into health that's so good. Really good
2: I always like to give names to my emotions like Frank yeah. is anxiety or like I, that's Sam. what I teach in my students yeah, like, like when like I go
1: and I do these workshops with students Atmosphere. fear because it like, helps Sam, you Sam why are you here I know. Yep. what it do you, you want to talk about today totally. it helps you accept him well, well, it,
2: it helps you welcome him welcome. too because he's like knocking it's on accepting. the door and he's like I want to I want to say something and you slam the door in his face he's just going to keep knocking louder right. he's just going to come right. back more viciously
1: I've got the heart of a hero